those on the boat and to those who are watching. It's evident to you that this is not a normal context of worship. Uh, we're not in a sanctuary in Clarksville, Tennessee. We're literally on a boat uh, sitting on the Sea of Galilee today, worshiping the Lord Jesus. And it's one of those holy ground moments. As you see, the title of the message is this morning, a holy ground moment. I pray it is for us here on the Sea of Galilee. For you who are watching, it will be life-changing for you as well. As I stand today on the Sea of Galilee on this boat and just looking around and seeing the sights, it takes me back to thinking about my dad. My dad died in a boating accident when he was 52 years old. And before my dad passed away, I had the opportunity of having spiritual gospel conversations with him about his relationship to Christ. So I knew that he was saved. I knew that he knew the Lord Jesus. But as I think about this day, I remember being there with him. I'll never forget the Lord's call in my life. Uh, because I still remember sitting down with my dad and sharing with him that God was calling me into Christian ministry, to the gospel ministry. Uh, I was thinking about that today. I remember sitting on the couch. My dad was sitting on the love seat. And I just said to him, I said, Dad, the Lord's taking my life in a different direction. He's calling me to serve as a pastor, as a preacher. I don't know all that that means, but it means I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to do some other things. But... Dad, I want you to know I surrender my life to Christ in Christian ministry, and I'm going to be obedient to Him. My dad was extremely supportive as my family was. And as I thought about that, today's story in Scripture is so pivotal to that story because the very story I used that day with my dad sitting on the love seat and myself sitting on the couch was this story out of Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, beginning in verse 18. And I want to read it, and then I encourage you to follow along. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And I used that story of my dad to say that just as Jesus called those individuals to come and to follow Him, He's calling me to come and to follow Him as well. Amen. And just as they obeyed immediately, I want to obey immediately as well. Amen. And so I obeyed the leadership of Christ. And so to have this divine opportunity to stand in this place and teach that story and to teach God's Word is one of those holy ground moments. And you know today that we serve, we love, and we follow a good, good Father. That's right. Amen. He's perfect in all of His ways. And so we're here today. You're worshiping with us today as well. As we, as we know, this is a freshwater lake. We're nearly 700 feet below the level of the Mediterranean Sea. Nearby mountain peaks reach more than 3,300 feet. And the Sea of Galilee is fed chiefly by the Jordan River. This body of water is 13 miles long north to south and 8 miles at its greatest east-west distance. Because of its location, it's possible to experience sudden and violent storms. Storms often come to this place without warning and are usually short in duration. And so I'm praying this morning we're not going to see a storm here. But there's many of us maybe on this boat, and I'm sure there are many of you who are watching today. You're in the midst of a storm, and it's probably came without warning. And we pray it's a short duration for you. But whatever the storm is... I pray that you put your eyes on Jesus and let him either calm the storm or calm you in the midst of that storm because he wants to do that. But as we think about this, as you and I look around and see the beauty of this place, uh, we see Tiberias over to my right. We see mountains to the back of me. 
we remember that much of Jesus' ministry centered around and in this area. Let me give you some insights, some blanks you're going to be able to fill in. But what did Jesus do in this area around this sea? He called people. He called these two sets of brothers who were fishermen to leave everything and to come and follow Him. And they obeyed Him immediately and did so. He calmed storms. Here the disciples were on this sea one night and a raging storm was there. They thought they were going to drown. And Jesus stood up and He said, Peace be still. And what was raging all of a sudden became calm. Jesus can do that. He ceased activity. As we look around the shoreline of this place, Jesus would get up very early in the morning while it was still dark. And He would go off to a solitary place and there He would pray to His good, good Father. He ceased activity because He knew the spiritual discipline of being alone with His Father. He confronted demons. We see that over to our side. He cooked meals. We're going to observe that later on. But Jesus, much of His ministry is around this particular place. So I want to give you some insight from Mark, from Matthew chapter 4, verses 18-22 through 22, that's going to relate to your life and my life, whether you're on this boat or you're watching somewhere around the world. These truths are going to apply to you just as well as they do to my life. Number one, Jesus still sees. As you and I think about this, Jesus had amazing eyesight. I don't know when's the last time you thought about His eyesight, but He could see very, very well. Here's what I mean by that. He saw the temple being misused in Matthew 21. Yes. He saw the city of Jerusalem in Luke 19. And the Bible says when He saw the city of Jerusalem, He wept over that city because He knew the lostness of the people who were there. Amazing eyesight. He saw a multitude of hungry people in John chapter 6. And the good news, He had compassion on those hungry people. And then he saw the disciples sleeping in Matthew 26 in the Garden of Gethsemane while he was praying and saying, Father, may your will be done and not mine. They were sleeping. And then as Jesus walked along this shore one day, he saw two sets of brothers. And he was about to change their lives. Jesus was going to take their fishing to another level. Now I want you to fill these blanks in. What does Jesus see today? This is going to be relational to your life and to my life and to where we are now. Number one is people. He sees people. You may feel alone in life. You may be watching from somewhere around the world and you feel like no one sees your life. No one knows anything about your needs or your story. I've got good news for you. Jesus Christ, the Son of God and Savior of the world, He sees you. He knows exactly what you're going through. You may think no one sees. You may believe that no one knows the pain and emptiness of your life. But I pray you'll grasp what I'm about to say again. And here it is. Jesus sees you. So if you're troubled, if you're empty, and you don't know the direction of your life, I just want you to know your life matters to the Lord Jesus. He sees you. He knows what's going on in your life. You're not alone in this world. Jesus sees you. Number two is pain. You may have physical pain. Jesus sees you. You may have relational pain. Jesus sees you. You may have emotional pain. The good news is Jesus sees you. Whatever your pain is, He knows what it is. He's aware of what's going on. But the good news, He's got the power to ease your pain and to change your life and to take the storm in your life and give you calmness in your life because He sees people. He sees pain. Number three, He sees potential. He sees the potential of your life. David's brother saw him as a shepherd boy. God saw him as a king. Yes. Gideon saw himself as a nobody, but God saw him as a mighty warrior. Amen. Uh, people saw four men as fishermen. Jesus saw those four men as leaders in a spiritual movement around this water. 
And so he saw their potential. So as you, and even as other people, look at your life, you may see failures, flaws, weaknesses, mistakes, and even wasted years of your life. And I wonder those of us on the boat, and I wonder those who are watching, how many of you would just be honest to say you have wasted years upon years of your life? Here's the good news again in this worship gathering. And just if you'll just sit up and you'll look me in the eye, wherever you are, here's the good news. Jesus sees you. He sees your pain, but He also sees your potential. Yes. Your weaknesses, your flaws, your mistakes, your failures, your wasted years. He can turn those and use those for His glory and for your purpose in your life. It's true. And so I just want to encourage you. He sees you. He knows what's going on in your life. And He sees your potential. Look at number two. Jesus still invites. Can you remember an invitation or two that you received in life? I can remember many. I've been invited to a lot of things in life. Some invitations I never dreamt would come my way. Some I thought was actually were actually false. But, but they turned out to be true. But can you remember some invitations in your life? Jesus invited these fishermen to an adventure of a lifetime. Those men worked well together. And here's what we know in ministry for those who are watching who serve in Christian ministry. Ministry requires cooperation. We can't do this ministry on our own. We need to serve with one another. We're better together in Christian ministry. Those men worked hard together. As you and I fish for people and serve in ministry, we know this. Ministry is hard work. It's not for lazy people. And then we know this, that those men were wise together. Ministry is about stewardship. We don't need to waste time. We don't need to waste waste resources. We don't need to waste influence. We need to be good stewards of everything that God has given us. And so it's wise because Jesus is still inviting people. Now here's what I want you to focus on for the next few minutes. What is Jesus inviting you and me to do? This morning on the Sea of Galilee, or as you're watching, as you're worshiping with us, what is He inviting you to do? Number one is to come. Jesus' initial invitation for the fishermen was to come to Him. Not to go anywhere, but to come to Him. Can you imagine hearing Jesus say, I want you to come and follow Me. The invitation is to come to Me. And so in Matthew 11, Jesus invited people who were tired and weary to come to Him. Jesus is still inviting you and me to come to Him today. Yes. And so I just want you to look at these. Maybe you need to be saved. Maybe you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know a lot of things in your head about Him, but He's never changed your life and your heart. You've never surrendered your life to Him. I just want to encourage you, come to Jesus today. Ask Him to save you. Confess that you've sinned. And let the Lord Jesus Christ change your life. He can do that. Maybe He's inviting you to ministry. Just like He did me that time. He called me to leave what I was doing and to come and to follow Him and serve Him in ministry. Maybe God's got a call on your life to serve in ministry as well. I just encourage you, come to Jesus as He calls you. Maybe it's just a rest. Maybe you look at your life, you're exhausted, you're tired, you're fatigued, you're just giving out. And He said, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burden, I'll give you rest. I just encourage you, go to Jesus, run to Him, go to Him and let Him change your life and even give you rest. He's inviting us to come. Number two is the word follow. He's inviting us to follow. Jesus invited those men to follow Him. He invited tax collectors to follow Him. He's still inviting you and me to follow Him. Follow Him in a relationship. Follow Him in a ministry assignment. Follow Him in an area of reconciliation that you've got a broken relationship that you just need to have an honest conversation with. He's inviting you to follow Him, to come to Him and to follow Him. And number three is the word trust. He's inviting you to trust Him. Jesus invited those men to step out on faith and trust Him. Those men didn't know where they were going. 
God called Abraham to trust Him as well in Genesis 12. And you say, well, how did Abraham respond when God called him? He didn't even know where he was going. He didn't even know what was going to happen. Hebrews chapter or chapter 11, verse 8 says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. He trusted the leadership of God. He's asking us to do the same thing. And so Jesus is inviting you and me to trust Him. For the next step, for the provision, trust Him in gospel conversations. But He's saying to us, I want you to come to me, I want you to follow me, and then I want you to trust me. Jesus still invites. Number three, Jesus still equips. Here's what I mean. What does the Lord use to equip you for life with Him? And what does He use to equip you with life for Him? As I inventory my life, here's what He did in my life. He used another pastor. He used many seminary classes and times. He used local churches. He used godly leaders to equip me for life, but also for ministry. I can see in my own life how I've been clay in the potter's hand. All right. You're clay in the potter's hand as well. He's crafting you and fashioning you to be the person He wants you to be. And so Jesus said to these fishermen, I will make you. As Jesus equips, what are the results when He does that in our lives? Here's some words. Number one, no excuses. As He equips you, you don't have any excuses. Why do so many people give excuses to serving Jesus? Here's what I mean by that. For whatever reason, these people haven't been equipped. And they often say, I'm too old, I'm too young, All right. I'm not educated, I don't have enough experience. They give all these excuses why they could never be used of Jesus. I just want to encourage you, surrender your life, get over those excuses, let Him equip you, and let your life be used of the Lord Jesus to make a difference for Him. And so as Jesus equips, we see that we get rid of the excuses. Number two, no fear. There are two words for fear. One is healthy. And, and we understand what that is to say that we stand in awe of Him. We reverence Him. This is one of those holy ground moments as we're here. And so we reverence Him. But another one is unhealthy. Why? Because we're afraid in life. We don't have to be afraid. Jesus is with us. And so I just encourage us. Let's stand in awe of Him. We should never fear serving Jesus. What are you afraid of today? On this boat or watching, what are you afraid of? We have nothing to fear because Jesus equips you and me in life. Then look at number number three, no regrets. I love to ask men who've served in ministry and retired in ministry, uh, what would you do differently if you could go back and start over again? And it's pretty much common as I ask those men that question. Great men of the faith and to say, if you could do something differently, what would you do? They'll often go back and say, I would have spent more time studying God's Word and being with Him. I would have spent more time with my family. I would have spent more time loving people. And and we would all say the same thing. But but I don't want to come to the end of ministry or the end of life with regrets. I'm sure you don't either. And so I just encourage you, what regrets haunt you today? And as you think about Jesus again equipping you, uh, you don't have to come to the end of life with regrets. In fact, you can end life, you can end ministry regret-free because Jesus wants to equip you. That's who He is. Number four, Jesus still saves. Jesus still saves men and women, boys and girls. And so, if you're watching somewhere around the world, no matter what age you are as you're watching, you understand your sin, that you've disobeyed Jesus, and you've sinned against Him. Jesus is still saving men and women, boys and girls. That's the good news. And so I want to take a moment and, and just ask you to remember on the boat or those who are watching, remember when you were saved. 
When did you come to Christ in your life? It was a young boy for me. I was sitting on our basement steps and surrendered my life to the Lord Jesus Christ, told my mom, followed that, was sharing that with the church family, and then being baptized in obedience to Christ after that. But when did you come to Christ in your life? When did the Lord Jesus redeem you and save you and change your life? And so as you think about that, Jesus said to these folks, He said, I'll make you fishers of men. And that was about gospel conversations and it was about salvation. Jesus is the one who saves, not you and me. And He died and He paid our sin debt in full. We could never pay that. He did that on our own. Let me give you these blanks here. Number one, God's love. I just want you to know today, you and I will never look someone in the eyes whom God doesn't love. That's John 3.16. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And so on this boat, or wherever you're watching at or from, I want you to know this. Almighty God loves you dearly. Praise you. That statement right there can change your life for all eternity. God loves you. He loves you so much that He gave His only begotten Son for you. That is incredible love. Number two, Jesus' sacrifice. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. Yes, He left heaven and came to Bethlehem and was born. Took on human flesh. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He died a substitutionary, atoning death for your sins and my sins. What does that mean? It means this. You and I should have died on the cross. You and I should have been the one who were nailed on the cross. But instead, what did He do? He said, I'm going to take your place. I'll pay your sin debt. I'll die in your place. I'll give my life for you so that you could be forgiven, saved, changed, and live with me for all eternity in heaven. He did that for you and for me. That's how amazing grace and the gospel, that's how amazing those things are. But we understand this. God's love, Jesus' sacrifice. Number three, Jesus' appeal. And here's what I mean by that appeal. He invites us to repent of our sins and to trust Him. What does repent mean? It just means I'm going one direction in life and I turn around and go a different direction. And so I'm going my way in life, but when I repent, I turn around and I start following Jesus' way in life. And I trust Him. That's what He wants you to do today. So you're watching and you've never given your life to Christ. I'm just asking you, I'm appealing to you, that you would turn from your sin and you would trust Jesus Christ to be your Savior. He wants to save you and redeem you and change you today. That's the appeal. I invite you to give your life to Christ. And so we never apologize giving people an evangelistic appeal to turn from their sin and to give their lives to Christ. Number four, our response. You and I can receive or reject Him. You've got an option. You can receive or reject the Lord Jesus Christ. You can confess Him or you can deny Him. You can run to Him or you can run from Him. All right. But I've got the news. You can't stay neutral to Him. You're going to do something with the Lord Jesus today. And as we're on this boat, we're going to surrender our lives to Him because we're believers on this boat. We put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to worship Him and testify about Him. But I encourage you, don't deny Him. Don't reject Him. Don't run from Him. Receive Him. Trust Him. Run to Him. Let Him change your life. And so, wherever you are, uh, there's an email address you're going to see. You can respond to us. Because we'd love to know that you've given your heart and your life to Jesus and you want to be obedient to Him. We'd love to come alongside you and minister to you and help you in your Christian life. And we'd help you take the next step as well. So you can respond to us there because one of the ways is telling somebody, please tell us so that we can celebrate with you and we can help you in your spiritual journey and your spiritual life. But look at these four questions here. And as you think about our response, 
four questions to ask and answer from today's message. Number one, do you know one person who needs Jesus Christ? That's for us on the boat. That's for you who are watching. Can you name one person in your life who needs Jesus in his or her life? What about a family member? What about a friend? What about a classmate? What about somebody you work with? Somebody in your neighborhood? Somebody you've met in the community? One person who needs Jesus. Would you ask Jesus to burden and break you for that one person? That that one person could come to faith in Christ. Number two, when was the last time you had a gospel conversation? Please understand, you and I don't save a single person. But He's called us to be fishers of men. He's called us to be witnesses. So when's the last time you had a gospel conversation with another person? Here's who Jesus is. Here's how we sinned against Him. And here's how by the cross and the resurrection, your life can be changed. One conversation. A gospel conversation. When was the last time for you? And then number three, how is Jesus Christ changing your life? How's the Son of God and Savior of the world changing your life? And then number four, what spiritual decision do you need to make today? Simple message. He called two sets of brothers. They came and followed Him. He changed their lives. And the good news today in worship, you surrender your life to Him, you follow Him, He'll change your life as well. So what spiritual decision do you need to make as a result of worship today? Let's bow together as we pray. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you. And Father, I thank you for this incredible uh, place that we're at, this sacred space. I thank you for those who are watching. And Father, I thank you as you call these two sets of brothers, you change their lives, you're changing ours. And I pray today for those who are watching, worshiping with us, that this will be a day we will get message after message after message. Why? From people who are saying, Jesus has changed my life. I trusted Him as my Savior. I want to be obedient to Him in baptism. I want to join the fellowship of the church. My life will never be the same because of Jesus. And Father, the glory goes to You. So thank You for this moment in worship, letting us lift up Jesus and proclaim the Word and give an invitation and to come and follow You, Lord Jesus, and use us to make much of Your kingdom, we pray. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And again, if you're watching, you made a spiritual decision. We encourage you to email us, comment to us. We want to hear from you, and we want to help you in your Christian life. Thank you for working with us, and we celebrate what God's doing in and through your life in Jesus Christ. Amen.